0: whatever the odds you would put on Tesla buying a billion and a half dollars on the balance sheet in 2021. In 2020 or 2019, somebody gives you odds on that. You're like, all right, I want 50 to one on that or whatever. And then it happens. And then somebody said, make me odds on the likelihood that two months later, he completely reverses course and shits all over Bitcoin on Twitter after he bought a billion and a half dollars worth of it. What an unbelievable thing to have Happen to do that That about
1: face. Welcome back to The Breakdown with me, NLW. It's a daily podcast on macro, Bitcoin, and the big picture power shifts remaking our world. The Breakdown is sponsored by NYDIG and produced and distributed by Coindesk. What's going on, guys? It is Tuesday, December 28th. And we are back with another episode of The Breakdown's end-of-year extravaganza. And today, I have a guest that I know you always love having on the show. It is, of course, the one and only Travis Kling. Travis is the co-founder and chief investment officer at Ikigai Asset Management. He has been in the traditional hedge fund world, the crypto world, and he's been in crypto for a while. I mean, this is a guy who built his firm in the midst of a deep bear market and has made it work. Travis is known for his incredibly fired tweets and his incredibly fired takes, and I'm glad to be able to bring a few minutes of those to the show today. Let's waste no more time jabbering and get right into the conversation with Travis Kling. Travis, welcome back to The Breakdown, sir. How are you?
0: Here we go. Glad to be here. Doing well. Wrapping up the year.
1: Well, that is, that is what we're here to do. We're here to wrap up the year that was. Look forward to the year to come and so let's kick it off with the big kind of uh overarching starting question. What do you think was the biggest crypto story of 2021?
0: Uh CPI, actual goods and services, housing, wages, asset price inflation.
1: Yeah, that's pre- pretty reasonable starting point.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I think it um was the dominant feature, um, the level of speculation that you saw in various different asset classes, um, is all kind of kind of interrelated to all that, and um, yeah.
1: So uh, let's let's actually get into that. So the, so this is the kind of a uh, transcends. The kind of economic story and crypto story. Obviously, this is a huge kind of justification coming into this year. The anticipation of inflation was a huge part of the thesis for institutions coming to Bitcoin. It's obviously something that you guys you know, were seeing, were, were kind of connected to. And then it actually happened. I mean, how did you see the kind of institutional thought process or you know investors from other sectors changed the way that they were looking at bitcoin or crypto over the course of this year as the inflation story played out differently kind of on a macro scale
0: yeah w- within great question within crypto it the delineation between i, I mean I, if i was if you can just wrap a bow around it in one sentence it would just be the the decline in btc dominance over the course of 2021 and thinking through how asset price inflation that's driven by speculation, the way that flowed out through to alts and you know ETH specifically relative to BTC, which is obviously you know a massive massive outperformer, and then the other layer ones um, that that is that is connected to macro. I know some people. Don't view it like that, but I've always viewed it like that, right? Like that is a function of doing 120 billion a month of QE when you don't really need it all that much. And that's, that is a function of what happened to M2 monetary supply. That's a function of the fiscal policy deficits that were, that were were running, um, uh, on the, on the political side. And, and, uh, it was, it was just the dominant theme of the year. Wow.
1: What do you think about this sort of um, <clears throat> popular or getting more popular narrative of uh, well, Bitcoin's just kind of a, a, a high beta risk asset at this point? You know, uh, Joe Wolzenthal from from Bloomberg loves trolling the Bitcoin community right now with this on Twitter. What's your take on correlation with Bitcoin and stocks uh, as we've as seen it play out over the course of the year?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it makes sense. The moniker, the fastest horse, like on a, on a macro asset scale. I mean, Bitcoin just showed that that was the case. And, it's, and the way it played out was close enough to Paul Tudor Jones's view that he wrote about in May of 2020, other than he missed the gold one. You know, he, like his other you know, big investment to try and protect himself was, was on the gold side. And that hasn't played out that well. But it, it, it was, you know, and some of that I, I do believe was because Bitcoin stole so much of the, of the spotlight and the, the relative flows that would have gone to gold. But through, through this year, I, I, uh, it, the, it, it's just it's all one trade. I've been talking about this for a long time. It's, it's, it's all one trade. And it looks like maybe the direction the trade is, is about to kind of change here uh, upcoming And then there's all this speculation of, of, uh, you know, how much tightening can we actually do before things start breaking? And what's the kind of political appetite for letting things be very broken for very long?
1: So this is something you've tweeted. I've actually, I think one of your most uh, kind of quoted themes for me in recent months, Um, your thesis, it seems, is that, of course, there's going to be some amount of uh, politically political showmanship style, base level tightening, you know, in order to not be seen as doing nothing. But there's a very limited band of what they can actually do, practically speaking. Uh, is that a fair summation of kind of what what you, what you think?
0: Yeah, and I, I think you. I'm always careful to say. I, we don't, I don't think anybody really knows it, it, So, in, in terms of what can they specifically do. So saying something like there's no way you can hike three times in 2022 and three times in 2023, you're going to break the whole system. It's going to be a collapse. I mean, there's a decent chance that happens, but I don't know that for certain to be true. Um, in, instead, it's more like look at what they have done. Look at what they're incentivized to do. Look at what they have the capability to do. And then try and put the pieces together more like that. And 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 we just had the longest, you know, pre-COVID, we just had the longest, least aggressive economic expansion in U.S. history. And the constituents that matter for politicians and by way of the Fed, which has been politicized, uh, which is to say old people that have a lot of money, uh, that period of time was really good for old people that had a lot of money. And so uh, they would love to run that playbook back again. And so if we can get on some kind of like, Slow economic uh, uh, grind higher on very gradual interest rate increases, and see if you can put together another, you know, decade of grinding like that. They're pretty incentivized to do that. It's just there's reason to think that they're going to run that, try and run that same, that same playbook again. And then the last thing I'll say on that is that the, you know, the political side of this is hard to. That's a, a, a complicating factor that is hard to exactly get your head around entirely because you have to try and put yourself in the mind of what the Democratic Party thinks about uh, inflation relative to kind of midterm elections. And like, is there some chance that they may be already kitchen sinking the midterm elections because they know they're going to lose them and they're playing for 24. So they're trying to hand over a shit economy, uh, you know, come next year. It's a little tinfoil hatty It's not impossible. Um but these are gonna be, these are some of the key factors, it's gonna be like the key factor to watch in my opinion
1: for next yeah, year. I, I, I'm super interested, I'm working on a show for the beginning of January, that's uh, 12 big picture power shifts that I'm watching in 2022 and uh, midterms is actually one. I, I, think it's, I think it's a meaningful, meaningful question. Nidig sponsors this podcast and they're helping banks, corporate treasuries and fintechs integrate Bitcoin into their products and balance sheets. See why Bitcoin means business at NYDIG.com slash NLW. That's NYDIG.com slash NLW. What's something that happened this year that you would have never seen coming, that you would have never predicted?
0: I got to say that Elon buy. I got to say that, I mean, billion and a half dollars, public balance sheet, Tesla, like poof. I mean, I think, it's, I think it's the biggest thing. There's people that hate me for this. And, and, but like, I mean, I think it's the biggest thing that ever happened to Bitcoin, in my opinion.
1: Interesting. So let, let's dig into that because so this, is, this is fascinating because it felt like that in February. And by April, when they started to kind of retrace a little bit, it felt a lot not like that. So what's, yeah. what's your thinking now? You know, you're, you're seven months on from that, eight months on from that. Why does it stand up like that for you?
0: Here, here's a great. Actually, I'm going to reframe the question. So, whatever the odds you would put on Tesla buying a billion and a half dollars on the balance sheet in 2021, in, in 2020 or 2019, somebody gives you odds on that. You're like, all right, I want, I want fifty to one on that or whatever. And then it happens. And then somebody said, make me odds on the likelihood that two months later he completely reverses course and shits all over Bitcoin. On Twitter, after he bought a billion and a half dollars worth of it, what would you price that? A thousand to one, five thousand to like what? I mean, that what an unbelievable thing to have happened to do that 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 about face and what the underlying drivers for that were, dude. I don't know if we're ever going to know. I don't know if we're ever going to know exactly what the setup was for how that happened. When I when I rank, I I never talk about that without talking about the China ban. Because for me, there's no way to un- unlock those two things. And the way I have it in my head, they will always be together. And I don't know if we're ever going to know if they were actually linked. If Elon knew that was coming, there there is a body of evidence I think you could put together that would say there's a pretty decent chance Elon knew that China was going to come with something pretty heavy handed. I mean, it's again, it's a little tinfoil hattie, but like, I mean, I've, I've talked to people that think the same thing. Um, so you know, but, 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 but overall, uh, the Elon situation, you know, I think we learned something about figureheads and Bitcoin through that experience. Uh, and he did this really weird, you know, the punctuation of that. Uh, there's aspects of that whole story that felt very manipulated. And the way that it was, it was punctuated by the, B, the B-word conference yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that whole thing. And like, we just kind of, and it was just sort of over. And then we did an all time high, whatever that was 90 days later or something like that is a little, you know,
1: <laughs> Yeah. The, the B-Word yeah. covers was a really interesting aspect of that story. I think the, like my, my, uh, sort of base case for that was Kathy calling up Elon and being like, get the f- on the stage. You got yeah. <laughs> like it's It's time. Thanks. Remember, you know, 2016 and 2015 when everyone thought I was a lunatic for standing by you but who knows? Uh, I think it's super interesting. I also want to go to another point though, which is, so I, you know, connected to the China ban that obviously was this huge momentum shift for this market cycle. And I think, you know, at least to me, it feels pretty clear that Bitcoin uh, looks a hell of a lot more resilient coming out of both of those twin kind of FUDs and not just FUDs, but like actual serious sort of threats and shifts the way that it did how much different does this cycle go if Elon doesn't kind of retrace on his environmental with his environmental stuff and Bitcoin doesn't ban it right then? I mean, is that the moment where we get that parabolic upswing that's like actually kind of unhealthy, you know, followed by a much bigger crater? Like, is there an argument that actually it worked out in such a way that we, I don't know, maybe even broke out of some of the cycle kind of pattern that we'd been in before. What, what do you think?
0: It's a, gr- a great man, a great point. I forgot how good you are at interviewing, dude. <laughs> I haven't talked to you in a while. I forgot you're you're the man at this. Uh, it it's um, so. I guess the first thing I'll I'll say is. Whenever the China thing got cleaned up, the way it did, and they threw the kitchen sink at it and you heard about all the miners leaving and hash rate decreasing and popping up in other places of the world and banning the traders and seeing the volumes die on, you know we, we look at it from a, from a trading approach as well to seeing the, the volumes die out on OB and OKX and what that meant for relative open interest market share and different things like that. When I saw the way it looked like that was getting cleaned up, I go, oh, this is worth a trillion dollars on Bitcoin's market cap just this like higher, like to, to the way this just got de-risked it's, it's worth at least a trillion dollars. And we haven't seen that entirely. You know, you kind of saw that play out, but that, that, that plays out over five years, Mm -hmm. the way that that got de-risked. And you know, what would have happened if, again, it gets so tinfoil hatty, man. Like, it's like, what would have happened if, if Elon didn't, you know, if the China ban never happened and Elon didn't do his re- his reversal and you get a maybe a couple more S&P 500 publicly traded names that buy it on balance sheet, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, one thing that I've learned this year from a trading perspective is Bitcoin gets sluggish over, you get a 60 handle on that thing. And it just, you know, the supply that, comes and the, you know, demand that's sort of ready to eat it up in the 60s, like it just thins out up there. And, and, uh, you know, that may change for a number of different reasons. And at some point, the way these things have a tendency to work, you just run out of people that are in the mood to sell in the 60s. Uh, and that may take a year, you know, I don't, you know, who knows what Bitcoin's going to do next year. But um, a blow off top for Bitcoin is something that I really struggle to see Ever happening again? It's not my base case. It's it, it's my low conviction, medium conviction base case that Bitcoin will never blow off again.
1: Um, that is a whole show. We're going to put a pin in that one and come back to it. I think it's <laughs> we could do an, an entire show on, on on cycle theory. I think it's fascinating. But I do want to, I, you know, I want to kind of cover a couple other aspects of the industry because you know you came into this space, you you were fascinated because you were effectively watching all the ICO. Shit went fully down the rabbit hole as that was, I mean, starting to peter out, but there was still a hell of a lot of people from outside looking in who were like racing to catch a piece of that. And you immediately went straight to, Bitcoin, you know, at, at like not kind of peak of lack of, or you know, trough of popularity, but certainly before we had done the whole fully sloughing off the skin of, of the ICO movement, right? So the the yeah. this is a long way of setting up that you've had a long-term kind of interest in and conviction around Bitcoin. You've watched that for a long time. You've, you know, you built your company in the bear market. And now you come into 2021. And in addition to everything we're seeing with Bitcoin rising and hitting all time highs, there's all these new things NFTs, layer one battle. You know, crypto gaming, metaverse—all this stuff comes up. Where are you at the end of this year? Kind of coming out on all that stuff. You know, what has surprised you? What's interesting? What do you think? You know, is is kind of you know for the dustbin of history? You know, what do you see going into 2022 on sort of the rest of the crypto space?
0: Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll give you a, uh, maybe a quick minute on historically kind of some of the things we've done at Ikigai, and then maybe what the, the outlook looks like. So launched the fund three years ago, December, 2018, um, spent a handful of months, probably five, six months before that building, uh, thinking through investment strategies, you know, launched it at the, right after the, the crash in November of 18. And it, we were kind of qualitative first, um, fundamentals driven with, uh, some side kind of side quantitative work that we were doing this term quantum gets, gets thrown around a lot. Uh, and we, we had sort of a qualitative first quantum mental approach to deploying capital in the market. That was when, when, when Phil Bonello was still working with the shout outs, Phil, um, and he and I did a ton of qualitative work together and, I couldn't figure out a way to generate attractive risk adjusted returns like on a repeatable consistent basis with qualitative research. And like, sometimes that would work and sometimes it wouldn't work. I'm talking, this is talking about first half 19, right? So pretty pretty challenging market environment. And uh, I couldn't figure out how to, how, how to do that. And and so through the quantitative work that we were doing uh, with with Hans taking the lead there, shout outs to Hans, um, We came up with a quantitative approach to trading Bitcoin that it looked like we could really outperform holding Bitcoin by a good amount uh, with this quantitative approach. And we were trying to figure out a way to generate attractive risk adjusted returns and get the business scale, get the business scaled up. Um, And so that was that was the 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 move that we went decidedly towards into September 2019. And and from September 2019 forward, we outperformed holding Bitcoin by, by trading Bitcoin. We did our jobs well. And then we added ETH to the systematic approach uh, in April this year. So we kind of started trading ETH systematically earlier this year as well too. And then uh, and the vast majority of our capital was deployed into this kind of systematic strategy. And then a couple of things happened this summer uh, where we bought a little bit of Solana at the beginning of the year and it turned into a lot of Solana because the price went up a lot. And to a lesser extent, we bought a little bit of FTT and it turned into a lot of FTT because the price went up a lot. And then all of a sudden, we had this, this portfolio that was, you know, not the vast majority of it in this systematic, you know, kind of, kind of models driven BTC and, and ETH strategy, but we weren't in the mood to sell Solana and we weren't in the mood to sell FTT. Um, and in the meantime, we were seeing more and more things on the, some of the emerging crypto sector side of things that was increasingly more compelling to us. And, uh, and we had spent a lot of time in DeFi uh, and we're kind of struck. This is in late two- 2020, first part of 2021. Uh, we're struggling kind of to find super compelling value accrual in in DeFi when you kind of drill down into where a lot of the yields came from, the sustainability of those. and. You know, uh, smart contract security type of stuff. Anyway, so we were a little hesitant on that. But then, uh, and, and when we missed like the whole Axie Infinity move, we made, you know, a negligible amount of money in, in Axie Infinity. Um, but after the price ran up a lot in May, uh, we really started digging into what was going on there and what caused that and, you know, play to earn and, scholarships and the, uh, you know the innovation that's that's happened there and the you know what the outlook for some of that uh kind of broad direction might be so we've been pretty compelled by that uh since this summer and have been spending a lot of time on it uh it's a little bit of our portfolio right now um not a lot of it. there's not a ton of the publicly traded stuff that uh we're finding super compelling uh, especially if you kind of look at the market cap on it. Um, But the innovation is completely undeniable. uh, And it just looks to us like it's probably the top of the second inning uh, of a sector. That's going to go be a big deal. uh, You know, both in its importance uh, on society in general and, and, you know, in the investment returns in in kind are going to end up being uh, you know, we think a big deal as well too. And, and it's also, This metaverse situation, you know, even even before Facebook changed its name to meta, it was uh, pretty apparent how the centralized versus decentralized side of this whole thing, how it was just going to be a very clear fight. Right. And and you were seeing what's happening in Fortnite and various other different, you know, all kinds of computer games where people were doing more and more hanging out, less and less gameplay, that kind of thing. Uh, And you saw little old decentralized alternatives that you know decentraland and you're like okay hey, what are we doing here and um but then you know facebook goes and, and changes their name and now i just think that it it's crystal clear that uh there is going to be a a competition here for 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 decentralization versus centralization, and it's going to be a fight that's going to be worth fighting
1: I think it should be illegal. I'm reflecting that to, uh, to put you in an interview that that's capped at 21 minutes, but that's the constraint (laughs) that I set myself for these end of years. Um, so just going to close out on one question. We'll have you back soon uh, to talk more about all this sort of stuff. There's so much more that we can dig into, but what's one prediction for, for 2022? I mean, you've got half of the answers to your questions. have had predictions too, but let's, let's put a capstone (laughs) on it.
0: Let's see here. Um, Bitcoin will decline at least 50% off its top and will increase at least 50% off of its bottom.
1: All right. I like it. Now now the question is just when you make people rich. (laughs) All right, Travis, it's always wonderful to have you on the show. Appreciate the time and happy holidays to you and your fam.
0: We'll do it again soon, sir.
1: I said it at the end of the episode, it should be illegal to have Travis Kling on a podcast, but only for 20 minutes. This is a wrong that I promise that I will write soon. But until then, I appreciate Travis for taking some time from his holidays to join us for the show. And I appreciate you guys listening. Until tomorrow, be safe and take care of each other. Peace.
0: Save a little more this month. Chime checking accounts have features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA members FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply.